Welcome to the Lessons from the Cockpit podcast. I'm your host, Mark Acera, a former KC-135 pilot in the United States Air Force, instructor at the Air Force's Weapons School and at National Defense University. My lifelong passion has been aviation. Since I was four years old, standing on the hood of my Grandpa Andy's car, watching Boeing 707s and Douglas DC-8s take off and land out of Los Angeles International Airport, I have loved airplanes and aviation. I have been around airplanes for 60 years. Ask any aviator what the definition of flying is, and they will tell you long periods of boredom, interrupted by short intermittent periods of extreme terror. On the Lessons from the Cockpit show, we debrief the most intriguing pilots, aircrew members, maintainers, and aviation enthusiasts by investigating their tactics, techniques, and procedures cultivated during extreme military, commercial, and private flight operations. Our exploration gives listeners practical advice on how the aviation world works and expands critical thinking expertise in the air and on the ground. Special thanks to wallpilot.com, custom aviation art for the walls of your home or office for sponsoring this episode of the Lessons from the Cockpit show. There's a three-word slogan that every pilot is taught early in pilot training. It's done in the exact same order every time to help us focus on getting through emergencies or sticky situations. And it works every time it's tried. I recently read an article by a lady who was a flight instructor and was battling cancer. While she was in the ER, she realized that the healthcare world could really benefit from using this three-word slogan. While in pilot training at Vance Air Force Base in the T-38 phase, the white rocket phase, I had a great instructor that has left an incredible mark on my life. He was a captain, a former B-52 pilot, and he was nicknamed the doctor because any student that was having trouble like I was, the doctor could tighten up any student and get them back on track. And he taught all of us the five commandments of flying. Military operators spend thousands of hours in training and education. During my career, I had a SEAL Team 6 operator tell me a slogan once that stuck with me throughout my entire career. And as I look back on the training and education I went through, this one slogan is the reason that the United States military is so good at what it does and will always be the world's superpower. And even now, I use that slogan in my daily life. So grab an adult beverage of your choice, sit down, strap in, and let's begin the Lessons from the Cockpit show. Leveling off at 2,500 feet, heading north, I was feeling euphoric. This was my third solo ride. And my instructor had told me, Hey, you're good enough to go out to the auxiliary airfield, Kegelman Airfield, 30 miles northwest of Vance Air Force Base near Enid, Oklahoma. This was a big deal because it meant that my instructors had enough faith in me to let me go out to another airfield and come back to my main base. I reached up, unhooked my oxygen mask, and had my fists banging against the top of the canopy screaming to myself, this is great, this is great. There's no better feeling in the world than being in an Air Force jet by yourself. You feel bulletproof when you're doing this. And that's the way I was feeling, bulletproof. Vance Air Force Base was going by me off to my left. I could see it down here below me. Enid, Oklahoma, was just starting to pass underneath me. And I was still feeling this euphoric sense of invincibility. Heading further north, 
I got to this river and in the middle of the river was an island that was called the football. It was one of our ground reference points for flying up to Dogface. That football meant that Dogface was straight west of me. Descending from 2,500 feet down to 1,500 feet, went into a 60-degree left bank turn at 3 Gs, and I'm feeling fantastic. Rolling out 1,500 feet. Now I'm just going through the checklist, which I have strapped to my left thigh. I'm looking at the pattern checklist, the before landing checklist. I'm just reviewing in my mind all of the things that I have to do once I get up to Dogface. Approaching the next ground reference point, I said over the radio, Dogface, Baron 28, Point Bravo, which let them know I was coming into their pattern at that auxiliary airfield. On the auxiliary airfield, there is what's called a runway supervisory unit that has two instructor pilots there watching all of the students and what they're doing. They're grading them. They're watching to make sure everything's safe. And those instructors are there just to control the chaos of particularly new students flying solo like me. But I didn't hear anything on the radio. The first commandment of flying, fly the jet. More pilots, aircrew members, and passengers have been killed because the pilot team forgot to fly the jet. The most famous is an Eastern Airlines flight that had a nose wheel problem and they crashed in the Everglades because the autopilot had come off. They weren't flying the jet. I got to my next ground reference point, went into a left-hand turn again, 1,500 feet, lined myself up with the runway, made another radio call. Dogface, Baron 28, three-mile initial, touch and go, staying with you. Nothing on the radio. Now I'm over the top of the runway. Baron 28, in the brake. Throttles come to idle. Speed brake goes out. Gear warning horn is blaring at me. The system is designed with the throttles at idle, the gear up. This horn makes sure that you remember to put the gear down. Rolling out, heading the other direction. Now I'm putting the gear down, putting the flaps down, configuring for landing. Good hydraulic pressure, good electrics. Engines all look good. Got plenty of fuel. Got my harnesses and shoulder straps all down tight and now I'm just doing the approach. I'm on glide slope. I'm on glide path. I'm on speed. Everything looks great. Now I'm looking at the runway supervisory unit and sure enough I get the signal. I now know exactly what is wrong with my airplane. I push the power up, bring the nose up. Gears coming up, flaps are coming up. Dogface, Baron 28, I'm going home. Just so they knew I was going to take the airplane back. Once over the reference point for exiting the pattern, I made another left-hand turn to the east. I reached up, changed four numbers in a little box, hacked the clock, 57, 58, 59, 60, reached up, changed one number. Now everyone knew that my radio was broken. You see, I could transmit, but I couldn't receive. And squawking 7700 for one minute said, I'm an emergency aircraft, I'm an emergency aircraft on the air traffic control radar. Changing it to 7500 told air traffic control, I have a radio problem. 
That's our kind of nonverbal communication that we have in the airplane. 30 miles north of east side, which is the runway that the T-37s, the airplane I was flying, operate off of, I turned to the south and I lost track of what I was doing. I reached up, radio on, radio off. Vance approach, Baron 28, how do you read this transmitter? Silence. Put in east side. East side, Baron 28, how do you read this transmitter? Silence. And then I looked up and scared the crap out of myself. I had inadvertently gone into a shallow dive, reaching over, turning the radio on, turn the radio off, changing the channels, and had leaned over the stick and had gone into a shallow dive. And I looked up right as I was 300 feet above the trees. I was supposed to be at 2,500 feet. I had violated two commandments of flying. First commandment, fly the jet. Fourth commandment, radio calls do not generate lift. I scared myself so good, I leveled off at 2,500 feet, put the stick between my knees, and was shaking my hands. I was really scared for a minute, but I had to put it all behind me. I had to fly the airplane. I still had to land. I'm at 2,500 feet in an airplane going 250 knots. Lining up with the runway, three-mile initial. East side, Baron 28, three-mile initial. Emergency aircraft, Nordo, full stop. They knew I was an emergency airplane already. I was telling them, my radio is inoperative. Nordo, no radio. Again, over the top of the numbers. Baron 28 in the break. 60 degree left bank turn, three Gs. Power's coming back to idle. Gear warning horns blaring at me, and I'm slowing down. Gear's coming down. Flaps are coming down. Throttle's back up to catch the speed. I'm on speed, on altitude, on attitude. Hydraulics are good. Electrics are good. Oxygen's good. All the engines are good. Gear's down. Flaps are down. I'm in a good configuration. By that time, I was 45 degrees off the runway, and I go into a shallow bank turn back toward the runway and line myself up. I'm on speed, on glide path, on course, and I'm going to do the best landing in front of the instructors in Eastside's RSU I can possibly do. And sure enough, a quarter mile from the end of the runway, I get the green light gun, which says, you are cleared to land. And I did one of my best landings right there in front of Eastside's RSU. But I'm not done yet. Slow the airplane down. I get to the end of the runway and I taxi off. I have to hold at the taxiway because I am still in what's considered controlled space. But I look up at the tower and sure enough, there's the green light gun telling me you can proceed. And I taxi back to parking, shut the airplane down, unstrap. And one of the maintenance crew chiefs comes up to me and goes, so how's the airplane? And I said, we're broke. This airplane can't fly in the next period. I can transmit on the radio, but I cannot receive, which means swap out the radio. And that was a fairly easy fix. You just unscrew four bolts, pull it out, take unscrew two cannon plugs in the back, put a new radio, screw that in, screw that into the panel, and you're good to go. Going into the flight room, all of the instructors and the students stand up and started clapping. And I sit down in front of my instructor, Lieutenant Dan Fox, a great American and a great instructor. He says, congratulations, Lieutenant Hassari, you did a great job. And I said, you know, Lieutenant Fox, 
not really. He goes, what do you mean? He says, you did everything right as far as we know. I says, as far as you know, not as far as I know. I said, Lieutenant Fox, I violated one of those commandments of flying on the way back. I was fussing with the radio, and I looked up and saw that I was only 300 feet above the trees. Dan, I almost killed myself on this ride. And he kind of leaned back in his chair and looked at me, and I thought, man, he's going to bust me on the ride. But he said, what did you learn from this? And I said, I busted two of the five commandments of flying. I didn't fly the jet, and radio calls do not generate lift. And I'd forgotten about that. I was too busy trying to fix a radio that couldn't be fixed until we got on the ground back here. He says, then you learned something today. And I said, oh, you better believe I did. I scared myself really good. He says, you won't do that again, will you? And I said, probably not. But I have a long career in front of me. <laughs> and we both just laughed. The next day, my instructor, Lieutenant Fox, had me get up in front of the entire class before we started flying and tell this story. And as I stood there in front of them, I explained to them, the things that we're being taught will in fact save your life because yesterday it saved mine. These three words, aviate, navigate, and communicate, apply to other areas in our life. In 2009, our son Jeffrey, then 15 years old, was diagnosed with an adolescent bone cancer called osteosarcoma. We spent 14 months in the hospital, chemotherapy, amputating the arm, and a whole host of medical emergencies that are associated with fighting cancer. Those of you who have gone through this fight know exactly what I'm talking about. I recently read an article by Nancy Breyer that can be found on nancybreyer.com, and she calls the article Aviate, Navigate, and Communicate. Nancy was in a state of shock. She needed a bottle of water to hydrate, and she looks over at all these doctors huddled around a brand new computer system while they're trying to input all of her information. You see, they had lost perspective. They were not aviating, navigating, and communicating. She writes in her article, medical practitioners need a formula to remind them, no matter what, that the first priority has to be to treat the patient, not interface with the computer. Aviate, navigate, communicate. What happened that night? An ER doc from outside the system came on duty and bypassed the new computer. My husband went to the closed cafeteria and found a bottle of water in an unlocked cabinet. And at midnight, after five hours in the ER, I was admitted to the hospital. She goes on to say, Gary later told me that they had talked about airlifting me to another hospital because so much critical time was lost dealing with the computer system instead of the patient. I spent four nights in the hospital, and after I relayed my story to an OR nurse friend, she wrote the words, aviate, navigate, communicate on a whiteboard in the entrance to the OR. I hope for the sake of every patient who comes after me that those words are still there. Aviate, navigate, communicate. There are five commandments of flying that I was taught by probably one of the best instructors I had during my entire Air Force career. His name was Captain Marcus Carlton. It's 37 years later, and I can still recite every one of these to anyone that asks. I recently had a telephone conversation with one of my classmates who flies for the airlines now. Both of us could recite these five commandments verbatim. Flying commandment number one, fly the jet. Chaos ensues and we stop flying the jet. You can't stop flying 
your aircraft. Keep moving through it. Keep going through it. I had to shake my hands while holding the stick between my knees to get it behind me. I had other things I had to do, like land the plane, that I couldn't worry about the mistake I made fussing with the radio, almost killing myself when I was 300 feet above the trees. Rule number two, instruments are your friend. We are taught to look at all the instruments, the engine instruments, the navigation, the attitude and heading, all of those different things so that we have situational awareness of where we're at, where we're going, and how fast we're going to get there. And sometimes we forget to look at those instruments in front of us and we get off of our course, get off of our airspeed, get off of our altitude, almost hit the trees. But instruments are your friend. The third one, trim is like breathing. On the top of the control stick in the T-37, there's a little thing that looks like a Chinaman's hat. And it's an electric trim button. Forward and back to do elevator, left and right to do aileron. And what it does is it moves little control surfaces out on the main control surfaces to dampen out all of the loads because of the wind going over the top of uh, the wings, the stabilizer, or the rudder. And by moving that switch backward and forward, left and right, you move those little trim tabs in such a way that it takes all that pressure off the stick. The airplane's easier to fly trim is like breathing every once in a while in our lives ladies and gentlemen we forget to trim take some time off if you're feeling stress go get a cheeseburger or a salad if you're on a diet but don't forget to take those stresses off of you exercising is a great way to do it fourth one i've already told you radio calls do not generate lift we like to communicate. We like being communicated to. In the airplane, obviously, it is extremely important because that's where our instructions are coming from. But 70% of communication is also nonverbal. Smile on a person's face, the look in a person's eyes, the way they're standing is all part of nonverbal communication. And we had nonverbal communication in the air. We had formation hand signals that we could use to show I'm checking my fuel, come in closer, all those kinds of things. Every airport has a green-red light gun, another form of nonverbal communication in the aviation world. Coming into dogface at that quarter mile, seeing that green light gun told me those instructors could hear me. I couldn't hear them. I knew immediately what was wrong with the airplane. That's all done in nonverbal communication. The last commandment, commandment number five, above all else, sound cool on the radio. Marcus Carlton said, your wings can be ripping off, but you hit that mic button and go, yeah, Baron 28, my wings are coming off right now, and I'll see you guys on the ground. And only when you release that mic button are you allowed to scream. Sound cool on your radio. Sound confident. When you're in meetings, sound confident. Confidence is exuded in body language and in our verbal language. And I hope all of you will remember, above all else, sound cool on your radio when you're talking. 
that one slogan that that SEAL Team 6 operator stayed with me through my entire career. And that was, the more thou sweatest in training, the less thou bleedest in combat. I have had the opportunity to create very complex training exercises throughout my career. Some of them based on actual scenarios, which we used at the KC-135 Division of the Air Force's Weapons School. And we trained our air crews to a razor's edge. It was hard. We had air crew members going through our weapons school that said, this is tougher than I thought it was going to be. I don't know if I want to stay in this course. And the colonel that they were talking to, which was my boss, said, then they've got the syllabus just about right. I appreciate you listening to the very first episode of Lessons from the Cockpit. On our next episode, I'm going to talk about one of those other situations where I thought me and my crew may not make it back onto the ground because we had an emergency that was not covered in our books, any of our training, and the only reason that we found that we were on fire was because I had a crew chief on board the airplane that had experienced the same exact emergency seven years prior. Thanks again for listening to Lessons from the Cockpit. Please share this with your friends. If you have friends or loved ones that you think would benefit from hearing aviation stories like this and the lessons learned, please share it with them. You'll be able to find our episodes on my website at marcasera.com under the blog page. Special thanks once again to wallpilot.com, customized aviation art for the walls of your home or office for being the sponsor of this first episode of Lessons from the Cockpit.